0: Welcome to the Crazy Love Podcast. Is grace something new that God came up with in the New Testament, or has it been His plan all along? In this fourth and final teaching of his series on Galatians, Francis Chan traces the incredible story of sacrifice throughout the entire Bible and helps us to see how the grace of God has been His design from the very beginning. I don't want us to stop talking about grace. We have to talk about grace. Nothing else, nothing makes sense unless we talk about grace. This whole thing is a waste of time unless grace is real. Grace is this idea of God just handing us, just giving us something that we don't earn, we didn't deserve. It's God's love, God's grace. He gives us this salvation. Now, the world is fine. Everyone in the world is fine with us believing in God's grace. What they are not fine with is when we say, well, you also need God's grace. That's when the problems arise. Uh, we live in a world that teaches that there are a 100 different ways to heaven and Christianity is one of those. And so what you believe, that if it's good for you, if it works for you, good, that's fine. And there are some of you in this room that come here and your belief system is such that, you know what, I believe in Christianity, but I also believe in A lot of other things as well. That's the predominant thought here. A friend of mine was at a U2 concert and said Bono just had the whole crowd chanting, Jesus, Jew, Muhammad, true. And let's just say that over and over and over again and declare that there's a bunch of different ways. It's all true. It's all real. And I understand. I show you. You got to know about me. I totally understand that kind of thinking. I absolutely do. And I could absolutely understand why you want to believe that. I want to believe that many times. My question is, is, does it really make sense, though? I understand why people would just say, you know what? No one's really going to hell. We're all good. I understand that. I want that. I, I, the, my problem is, does it really make sense to you, though? You see, because if we just say everyone's right and there's no right or wrong, everyone's right, there is no wrong, then no one needs to fight, right? So what a, what a great thing to believe that no one's wrong and you can go your way, she can go her way, we can all go these different ways and everyone's right. My question at the end of the day, though, is does it really make sense to you? Not do you want that to be true or would you like the idea of no punishment for anyone, but just does it make sense? Does it really make sense that if one person says Jesus Christ is the Son of God and someone else teaches that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, that someone else can come along and say, you're both right? Does that make sense to you? That one religion could could teach that Jesus is a false prophet, another religion teaches that Jesus is the Son of God and that they are both right? Does that really make sense in your mind at the end of the day? See, I understand the heart, I understand the desire of, well, if we just say everyone's right, then there's no fighting. Okay, I understand that, but does it really make sense in your head, and can you really go to bed at night saying, yeah, this really makes sense, this relativism, that whatever you believe about God is true. See, Paul says, I'm not going to stop talking about grace. I'm not going to talk about the grace of of Jesus Christ, and and there's a very important verse I want to look at today. It's Galatians 2. Verse 21, it says this Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul's saying the same thing that I just said, basically. He's saying, Look, if you could, if you could gain righteousness, a right standing, if you could be pronounced not guilty before God by any other means, whether it's by the law, whether it's this religion, that religion, if there's a bunch of ways to get there, then why did Christ die? Does does that really make sense? If there were a bunch, think about this, let's just say, let's say that everyone's right, and there's there's a thousand ways to heaven, okay? Let's Let's just believe that's true for a second then why did God in heaven say, I'm going to have my only begotten son go down on that earth and I'm going to watch him be tortured? Okay, fathers, does that really make sense to you? That there's a bunch of ways already to heaven, but you know what? My one and only son that I love more than anyone, I'm going to have him tortured on top of it all. So now there's a thousand and one ways to heaven. See, Paul says, once I try to mesh, you know, this other teaching along with the cross, then it doesn't make any sense at all. Once I lay aside grace and say, well, you don't really need grace because you've done all these good works. He goes, then Christ's cross, it means nothing, doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense that God would look at his son who in the garden is saying, come on, father, is there any other way? If any other way, then take this cup from me. And, and for the father, to go, well, there's actually a thousand different ways, but I'm going to make you go through this anyways. It doesn't make any sense. I, I sometimes go through the horror of just trying to picture what went through the mind of God as he watched his one and only son suffer on the cross and think, what in the world would I feel if I saw one of my kids go through that type of agony? Just one of them. That type of pain, I would just go nuts. And to believe that God did that to add another way. See, Paul says, once you say grace plus this, then it doesn't make any sense. And then Christ really died for no reason there's no point to the death of Christ if there are other ways to heaven. Does it really make sense to you? You see, I, there's this pressure though, there's a tremendous pressure to conform, because I don't like conflict, you like conflict? And, uh, and then if, you know, for most of you, you have relatives who don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and they want to believe that, hey, what you believe is fine, but just keep it to yourself. But Paul's saying, look, I can't just let it go. I can't just lay aside, set aside the grace of Christ, because if I do that and lump in all this other stuff, and yet there was pressure back then, just like there's pressure for you when you go to work tomorrow to just, Kind of say, yeah, I accept everything and all these beliefs because it's the predominant thought. Listen, Peter. Remember Peter in the Bible? The rock? The leader of the apostles? Peter? He caved into the pressure. Do you realize that? He caved into the pressure. He was one way around the the Gentile believers, and then these other people came along and said, no, you got to obey the law also, you know, and what are you doing with those Gentile believers? And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 let me separate myself from them. We're the ones that obey the law. And so Paul has to call him out on it. Did you know that in the Bible? Paul just gets in the face of Peter. Because of his hypocrisy, because Peter caved in. He didn't want to lose these friendships here. He didn't want to lose the status with these people. And yet, you know, he didn't want to lose it with them either. He kind of wanted to make everyone happy. And so in Galatians 2, verse 11, it says, Paul says, When Peter came to Antioch, listen to this. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he was clearly in the wrong a lot of you don't like that verse, do you? What? He was in the wrong? There's no right or wrong. And why is Paul judging Peter? What right does he have to judge someone else? And Paul says, no, Peter was wrong and I got in his face in front of everyone because he was clearly wrong. Why was he wrong? Because in verse 12 it says, before certain men came, From James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Okay, so Paul just says in front of everyone, Peter, what are you doing? You used to hang out with these guys over here and say, yeah, we can eat anything. You're the one that preached that you saw this vision from God about how there's no such thing as Jews and Gentiles and there's the unclean and the clean. He goes, you're the one that was preaching that. You're the one that preached in Acts 15 about how there's no difference now. And you were eating with us, suddenly this group comes, and then you start conforming to their ways. And now you're saying, hey, you guys, uh, the grace isn't enough. You also have to obey all of these rules. And Paul's going, "You're, you're a hypocrite, Peter. And other people are joining you in your hypocrisy. You know what the word hypocrite means? It means actor. That's where the word comes from. You remember in, in the old days when they would put a mask on, you know, when they would change characters, they'd put a mask in front of their face. It's kind of weird now we look at it. But uh, the people that put the masks on, they were called actors, but their technical name were hypocrites. These are hypocrites. That's what you do. You put a mask on. And, and that's what Paul was saying to Peter. He goes, man, these guys come. You put on your little, you know, hey, I do good works mask. And then when they're gone, you hang out with the Gentiles, and it's like, oh, the grace of God mask. And you go, well, what's going on here? And Paul confronts Peter on his hypocrisy. And there, there's, there, there was part of a, almost a sick side of me that, that likes to read that stuff and go, see, look, even Peter screws up, right? You know, isn't there that side that goes, okay, okay. You know, because the truth is, is I need the grace of God every week. I need the grace of God every day, and so does everyone else. There are no perfect people in this room. Just like some of you guys like it when I screw up. And you go, okay, okay, I feel better about myself. It's just that whole idea. In the the same way, I mean, that's the thing about grace, is we need the grace of God. Peter needed the grace of God. Paul needed the grace of God. And Paul had to confront Peter on his sin and praise God for Paul. In the same way, people are going to need to confront you on your sin. People need to confront me on my sin. We're, We're sinners, that's why we need this grace. That's why we need this forgiveness. But um, th- this whole hypocrisy thing isn't unique to Peter. Because the truth is, is obviously in a room this size, there are plenty of hypocrites in this room. And you've got your church mask on right now. Some of you. And some of you, you are you were, you were someone different Friday night than you are right now. You know, right now, you'll sing about the grace of God. But Friday night, is that what you were singing about? Is that what you were talking about? Is that what you were thinking about, the grace of God? Or had you set it aside? Tomorrow, when you go to work, are you still a person that is just talking about the grace of God? Or do you kind of change your face there and and kind of blend in with the beliefs of everyone there? Some of you, it doesn't take long for you to put on your mask. The moment you get in your car with your family and everyone else is gone and there's another you. And, and, and the thing is, it's not like you want to be a hypocrite. I mean, did you grow up going, I'm gonna be a hypocrite someday. Did you think, you know what, I just wanna be different with every crowd I'm with or in your heart, don't you wanna be a person that goes, no, this is who I am all of the time. Who you see on Sunday morning is who you'll see Friday night, and who you see Monday at work, and who you'll see in the home. It's that same person that's always about the grace of God. I speak up for my beliefs, whether I'm at church or whether I'm at work. I live out what I believe, whether I'm at church or, or whether it's whether it's Friday night. Isn't that who you want to be? And that's who Paul was. And and yet Peter here has a relapse. Peter kind of was messing up for a little while and Paul got in his face and set him straight. Praise God for that. But as much as we try to fight hypocrisy in the church, it's gonna creep up. And, uh, and even in the best of people, we'll go through phases at times. The important thing is the grace of God and now let's, let's pull out of it. Let's be the people who we need to be and let's uh, not set aside the grace of Christ. Now in verse 15, um, because Peter's telling these Gentiles now, well, you need the grace of Jesus Christ, but you also have to follow these customs, And, and Paul says you're forcing them to follow these customs that you don't even follow. And then Paul says in verse 15, he goes, listen, we, you and I, Peter, who are Jews by birth and not these Gentile sinners, We know, this is very important, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. First of all, what does it mean to be justified? Make sure you understand this term justified. When a judge pronounced his uh, pronouncement at the end of a, a case, he would either pronounce the person guilty or justified is the other word, or innocent, not guilty. That's what it means when you read that word justified in the Bible. It's the idea of the judge pronouncing you not guilty. And what What Paul says here, he goes, look, even we who are Jews by birth, we know, we know that you don't become declared not guilty by observing the law. Okay, very important verse. Did you know that? Did you you know that the Old Testament does not teach that obeying the law makes you right before God? Did you know that? See, I didn't know that growing up. I used to think that the Old Testament taught that God gave us all these commands, all these rules, and so a good person would obey these rules, and then you get to go to heaven, and that's the way it was in the Old Testament, and then came the New Testament, and the New Testament was all about grace, about Jesus dying for your sins, dying for your crimes, so now all we have to do is believe in him and accept the grace of God, and so I thought the Old Testament was about the law and obeying the law for salvation, and then God God changed, and now the New Testament is about faith and grace and this belief in Jesus Christ. Because no one really explained the Old Testament to me. But that's not the way it was. That's, that's what the Pharisees had turned it into. They turned it into this idea of works type salvation, but that's nev- that was never the teaching of the Bible. And that's why Paul says, look, he goes, look, Peter, you and I who are, who are true Jews, we know that we're not gonna be justified by observing the law because it's always been about grace. From cover to cover, do you realize this has always been about grace? This idea of the blood of Jesus Christ that we sang about washing away our sins was not a new idea that came with Jesus Christ. This idea of a blood sacrifice, this idea of God's grace and having someone else pay the penalty for our sin rather than us trying to work our way to it, that's that's what it's always been. Think back with me. Adam and Eve, right? First two people. What was the first, what was the first command ever given to mankind? Th- to Adam and Eve? Does anyone remember? Come on, don't be scared. Just say that loud. Yeah, don't eat the fruit of this tree. That was the first command. Remember that? He creates the garden and says, okay, everything's good. Eat whatever you want. Just don't eat of this tree. And what do they do? They break it. So there was a law. The law was broken. And you know, and, and what happens? The moment they ate of the tree, what, what did they discover? Their nakedness, their shame. And so they got a bunch of fig leaves and covered themselves up, the Bible says. And then God confronts them on their sin. But then what happens? Does anyone remember what happens after that? God, yeah, God provides a skin covering. God covers up their nakedness with these animal skins question where do you get the animal skins did a deer come hopping by and go here you can have this <laughs> you know and then hopped away skinless no there was a sacrifice that was made see we can we can skim over this stuff you know and you read it and you go okay so God provided skins well where did he get the skins from And so then the skins of these animals, this blood sacrifice, and suddenly now they are covered. They're covered. And then Adam and Eve have two boys to start with. What were their names? Cain and Abel. remember what Cain did? Cain worked the ground. He worked the soil and and produced a crop and then when it came time for, for giving an offering to the Lord, he brings all of his produce, all of the work of his hands and lays it before the Lord. Abel, meanwhile, kills an animal and brings a portion of the animal before the Lord. And what sacrifice does the Lord accept? The blood. And he rejects Cain's sacrifice. Wait, but he worked so hard for it. I mean, it, his took more work. He had to water it. He had to let it grow. He was cultivating, working, working, working. This guy just shot an animal and brought it. But it's about the blood. It's only sacrifice for the sins. Then, let's go, then, then, then comes Moses. What about Moses? Remember Moses in the Exodus. Remember when he was getting the Jewish people out of Egypt and there were all those plagues on on the Egyptians and then there was going to be this final plague, this final plague where the firstborn, the firstborn male was going to die in every house, that God was going to come by at night and he was going to slay the firstborn of every house, but he says to the Jewish people, okay, if you don't want your firstborn killed, then you better be good. Good. Because I'll see you when you're naughty, and I'll see you when you're nice. You know, is that, is that what he said? Did he, he say, I'm going to look, and I'm going to find who the good people are, and I'm going to save those households? No. He says, go and take a lamb. Go take a lamb and slaughter it, and put the blood over the doorposts, put the blood over the door frames, and I'm going I'm to go over all the homes and the homes where there's blood over it. I'm going to pass over. That's where we get the term Passover. And he passed over those homes. Why? Did they do something? They earned that type of salvation? No, it was this blood. This blood that was over it again. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the Exodus. And then you look at the Levitical laws on the day of atonement, on the day when we had to atone for our sin, Did you, you realize Leviticus 16, And if this were Old Testament times and I were the priest, then what I would have to do on the day of atonement, you know, to make up for my sin, is, is not do a bunch of stuff. I'd have to bring in my bull, a bull. Imagine me walking in with a bull someday, okay, that's better than the fog machine. I walk in with a bull you know, and I bring in the bull, and, and I would have to slaughter a bull, and I would have to take its blood, and I would have to sprinkle that blood upon the altar so that it's this idea of cleansing for me. Someone needs to take the penalty for my sin. It's this, this bull. That's just for me. Then I make restitution for your sin to atone for your sin, so then I got to grab a goat and slaughter the goat on behalf of you. And then on the day of Passover, all of you, all of your families, you would each have to bring a lamb to me. You'd each have to bring a lamb into the temple. You, a one-year-old perfect lamb, you would have to bring. And then you, you you would lay your hands on this thing, you know, and and lean upon this this, this lamb. And then I would come by and slit its throat. Because this idea of you placing all of your sins on this animal and then him paying for your crimes. And it was so stinking disgusting. It was so bad. I mean, could you imagine thousands of thousands of people coming to one location with a lamb, slaughtering it, the blood spilling? They talked about how that mountain would just be drenched with blood, and it would go all the way down into the river, into that brook, the Kidron, and, and they said it would just run red for like a week. Because of all the blood from that one. It was this whole picture of your sin is so disgusting to God. And a price needs to be paid for it. This wasn't new with Jesus. This was from the beginning. It, it was Adam and Eve. It was Cain and Abel. It was the Exodus. It was the Levitical law. And then you get to the prophets. Then you get into that prophetic era and you've got, uh, you, you've got uh, Isaiah. Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 53, this is still Old Testament, you guys. This is still about God providing a sacrifice because you could never obey the law right. You guys were always sinners. Humankind, mankind, you always sinned. I always had to provide some sort of sacrifice. And then Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5, it talks about, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was put upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So now you've got the prophets who are telling the future and Isaiah saying, you know what? All of the sins are going to be placed upon him. He's going to be like a lamb that's led to the slaughter. You you know how from the very beginning how there was always a sacrifice, always a sacrifice, always a sacrifice for our sins? Well, you know what? There's going to come a time when he's going to come and all, all of our iniquities are going to be placed upon him. So you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you go all the way through the prophets, and then you get to the New Testament, and then comes this man called John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist, after all of this talking about this lamb that's going to come, what does John the Baptist say out of his mouth in John chapter one? He goes, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that nuts? Man, you know, remember from Adam and Eve, you remember from from Cain and Abel, remember from the Exodus, remember Leviticus, remember what Isaiah said, and there's gonna come this one who's gonna take away the sins of the world, who's gonna be like a lamb that's led the slaughter all these thousands of years, and then look, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God's story continues, and here, he's there, and Jesus dies on that cross. And then the writer of Hebrews kind of puts it all together in in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, he says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Does he understand what all that was? All those sacrifices every year, they were reminders When you'd walk in that temple and you see all that blood, you would be reminded of all of your sin and all of your guilt that needed to be atoned for. He says it was all a shadow, all a picture until this one was going to come. And then verse 11 of Hebrews 10, it says day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. He says, don't you understand? This was a picture from the beginning of time. Those sacrifices, the blood of the bulls and the goats, it was never about the blood the goats, of the goats really taking away your sin. It was all a picture of the reality that was going to come. You were putting your faith in something that's going to happen, and then it happened. He goes, and that's why we don't sacrifice anymore. You don't need a sacrifice anymore. The perfect sacrifice was made. This was the picture of Christ. And then you go all the way to the book of Revelation and the book of Revelation says that at the end you're gonna see the throne and on that throne there's gonna be one that looks like a lamb that has been slain and what do we worship? We say worthy is the lamb. And we sing the song forever and ever and ever, forever we'll be talking about the grace of God. And what he did on that cross and the picture that he gave to the world all the way from the beginning and here's revelation just saying and that's what it's going to be about forever see the book of revelation end times is not going to be about francis getting to heaven and singing songs about himself it's not about me going look what i did when i was on the earth You know, and just, hey, let's just sing songs about what I did. Let's talk about what you did and how you pulled it off and all the good things you did to get there. No, what are we going to sing about? The grace of God, the blood of the Lamb. We're going to say, God, you had that plan from beginning. See, I I was so mixed up growing up. I never understood this. I never put it all together. I always thought, okay, Old Testament, got to obey a bunch of rules. No one did it. So God goes, oh, what do I do now? Okay, I'll send my son. You know, like it was an afterthought, like, okay, now comes Jesus, and it's like, no. It's always been about the substitutionary sacrifice that mankind has needed from the beginning because we were never able to obey the law. That's why Paul says there in Galatians, again, Galatians verse, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 16, he says, by observing the law, no one will be justified. No one's gonna be justified by observing the law. You're not going to make it. You're not going to be pronounced not guilty because you lived such a good life and you didn't break these commands. Everyone needs justification. Romans 3.20 says it, uh, says it the same thing. It says, therefore, no one, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. He goes, you know what the law actually does? The law doesn't save you. You don't get to look at these commands and these rules and go, wow, look, I did them all. Because the truth is, is we've broken them. So no one's going to be declared righteous because they, they obeyed them all. He goes, well, what the law does is the law makes us conscious of sin. See, when you read the commands, every time you read a command, it makes you feel guilty because you knew you, you know you've broken it. It makes you conscious, aware of your sin. And the Bible says, even if you never read the Bible, the Bible says that his law was written in your heart. That's why you've always known there was a right and wrong. Growing up, even if you didn't go to church or no one told you right from wrong, there were certain things you'd see and you'd just go, that is not right, right? Right? That can't be right, that grates against everything that's in me, I, I, I can't, I, that, that, that's wrong, there's a right and wrong, and so this whole relativism that the world's trying to teach that there is no right or wrong, that doesn't make sense to you, it can't. You know there's right and wrong, you know there's good and evil, it's written in your hearts. And the law just makes us even more conscious of the things that we've been guilty of. There have been times in your life when you did something and you knew it was wrong and you just felt this sick feeling about yourself we've all done it that's guilt why because we're conscious of our guilt we're conscious of our sins we have this conscience and that's why at every funeral every funeral i've done done many many funerals every funeral inevitably doesn't matter how wicked the person was someone inevitably will say but he had a good heart. But she had a good heart. And at every funeral, you'll, you'll hear those words from someone. I, I bet you it was said at Hitler's funeral. Someone says, yeah, but he was a good man. and He, he had a good heart. He didn't mean to do this. He didn't mean to sin. Why, because yeah, you know, there's some truth to that, that in all of us we know there's a good and evil and there is some of us, you know, there is that guilt when we do what's wrong and we don't really wanna do it, but the issue is not what you want, the issue is, is you blew it. Doesn't matter how badly you wanted to do what was right, the fact is is that you didn't. And, and no one can, can come before the judge and go, well, I didn't really wanna kill him. Well, I don't care. The fact is, is that you did. And so the fact is, is you're not going to be pronounced righteous. And so don't hide behind this idea of, because I desire good things, and I think good thoughts every once in a while, that that makes you righteous. No, until you pull it off, and you actually do pull off all of the commands and you do it without error, then you're righteous. Otherwise, you are guilty and you need to be justified. You need somehow to gain justification. And what Paul says is, you're not going to do that by obeying the law. You don't get declared not guilty because you obey the law. You you get declared not guilty by faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, by accepting what someone else did for you. It's always been that way. It's been that way from the beginning of time that you've always needed a sacrifice. You've always needed someone to take the penalty. See, but most people don't want that. People who have guilt, which is everyone, they seek to justify themselves. You know, you ever ever hear that expression? Nah, you're just trying to justify your actions. Why, because we all want justification. We all need justification. So how do we justify? We go, we blame. Well, I'm a good person. The only reason why I end up this way is because of my parents. I mean, in my heart is good. It's my parents that screwed me up. It's society that screwed me up. It's growing up in Southern California. It's growing up in America. It's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. It's whatever. It's this. It's that. I mean, Well, I've got some issues, you know, internally that you can't even understand, and that's my problem. So, you justify by blaming others or blaming circumstances or blaming something. So, because there's no way you would ever do anything bad on your own. So, you got to justify it somehow. Or you can justify it by going, Yeah, yeah, well, I did some of those things, but those really aren't that bad. And look at all the good things that I've done. Look at all the great things that I've done. And you try to justify yourself by saying, Well, but I've done more good than bad. And let me just ask you, does that make sense? Would that make sense to you if you're watching a hearing, a court hearing, and, and the guy's pleading his case, yeah, I did this, yeah, I did that, but here's a bunch of good stuff I did, and does it really make sense for you, to, the judge, to go, okay, then you're not guilty. After you showed me, you are like, yeah, I was gonna pronounce you guilty because I saw you broke these laws, but then when you told me all the good things you did, I thought, okay, no, you're not guilty. <laughs> that really makes sense to you? And yet we'll try to justify ourselves that way. We'll try to justify ourselves by blaming others. Try to justify ourselves by doing good works. And the Bible says you're never going to justify yourself that way. There's one way for justification. This is the way it's always been. And that's been by the blood. By the grace of Jesus Christ. By the grace of God. God seeing look, those fig leaves, that's not covering you. Let me cover you. The produce and all the work that's not going to cover your sin, let the blood cover. Your working and everything else is not going to cover. Just put the blood over your doorpost. the blood will cover. The day of atonement, the day of covering, is not a day of works, it's a day of blood. That's why Isaiah said, "Look. We've always needed this and someone's gonna come and that's why John the Baptist goes, there he is. And that's why the writer of Hebrews goes, see, it happened. And that's why for all of eternity, we're gonna be going, wow, thank you, thank you, thank you for the blood, the blood, the blood. That was the only thing that could justify me because I couldn't justify myself. I needed justification by faith through grace. Grace through faith. Christ sets us free from that guilt. See, you've tried to get rid of your guilt by doing good things. But you still remember those things of the past that you did. and didn't wipe away that guilt, did it? Because it's only by the grace of God, it's only by the blood of Christ that you'll be set free from your guilt and from the punishment of your guilt. And that's why Paul continues and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll wrap it up here, Galatians 2, verse 17. He says, if, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, listen to this phrase, I died to the law, so that, key phrase, so that, I died to the law so that I might live for God. He says, I died to the law so that I could live for God. Okay, okay, what does this mean? I died to law. Paul says, I died to that whole system that the Pharisees made up and other people were believing. This, this this system of laws where if I do this, 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 if you know, I'll get circumcised on this day, I won't eat these foods, I'll do that, I'll do that. It, maybe if I do all of that, I'll gain right. He goes, I had to die to that whole system of being good enough. I had to die to this religion of if I just follow these steps, I'll be okay in the sight of God. He goes, I had to die to that whole notion so that I could actually live a life that was pleasing to God. See, if you are still stuck here thinking that you are doing something or there's some good that you're going to do and you're going to earn God's favor, Paul says you're never going to earn it because that's arrogant. That's self-centered. You're thinking you can do it yourself, that you don't need God's help. He goes, God's never going to be pleased with that. He goes, as long as I kept trying, I would never live for God. But once I died to that whole notion... Once I let my pride down and say, okay, I can't justify what I did. I can't justify my actions. Once I died to this whole protection, proud, I'm a good person thing, then suddenly God could work with me. And then suddenly I could start living to please God. And that's why he says in that that verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. See that old me, just like Jesus died on that cross, that was me up there. That old me was nailed to the cross. I've been crucified with Christ, and so it's no longer I who live, but now Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and delivered himself up for me. In other words, right now, this is no longer Francis Chan. Francis Chan died. The old me, the old me that wanted to do all these good things, but kept screwing up, screwing up, screwing up, screwing up, feeling more and more and more guilty. You're trying to hide it. You're trying to justify. It's like, I am done with that. Okay, I gave up. I couldn't justify myself. I couldn't justify my actions. That old me died. He was buried with Christ. And now this new me, because that happened and because I gave up, God puts his spirit in me. And so now this new me, it's, it's like it, it, everything's different now. It's no longer me, the powerless me, failure me living, but now Christ lives through me. And the life that I live now is not this life of me, me, me doing all this stuff, but it's Christ walking through me. Christ working through me. It's his spirit coming into me and actually guiding my actions. And now suddenly I'm a new person I'm putting to death the deeds of the flesh that I used to be powerless over. See, don't you understand? That was the whole picture of baptism. The whole picture of baptism was a person. The Bible says you've been buried with Christ through baptism. The old you of all this, oh, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna be so good. Ah, forget it. I'm gonna die And when I rise, just like Jesus died on that cross, when he rose, he goes, it's the same picture of me rising again to a new life with God's spirit in me now. And now I've got God's spirit in me and it's no longer the old Francis Chan just walking in the flesh trying to pull it off. Now I've got the spirit of the living God in me and as I walk and step with the spirit it's like I'm not even living anymore it's like Christ living through me because the old me could never get rid of the sin this old me was never full of love joy peace patience kindness goodness you know that was not me I could never pull it off but now it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and that's why Paul closes it by saying I don't set aside the grace of Christ For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Have you ever come to a point like that in your life? Did that ever, Is is that your story? Did you ever get to a point where you just said, okay, I admit I'm guilty. I can't justify what I've done in my life. And I know when I stand before the judge, he's not gonna pronounce me innocent, justified, not guilty. No matter how many good works I do, it just doesn't work that way. I know it doesn't work that way. I need what Jesus did on that cross for me. I need his sacrifice. I need his spirit to come into me so that I finally can live the way that he wants me to. And I finally can become more and more like him every day. Have you done that yet? Have you been buried with Christ? Have you crucified yourself through baptism?